0: Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. So, this is Daniel Chronicles, part 14, chapter 9, part 2. Let me do a little review and introduction. I want to read the first three ch- verses of chapter 9 again. In the first year of uh, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, understood by the books, by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. The books, the word of the Lord, Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel understood by the books. He saw something in the word of God from the book of Jeremiah, and it was regarding the 70 years of them being captive in Babylon. And what he did next is very insightful, and it's very instructive. He passionately prayed that God would do What he had promised to do, what Daniel saw in the book of Jeremiah, he prayed, he didn't just sit back and say, so be it. He prayed passionately that it would come to pass. And we looked at this, just because God has made a promise does not mean that we don't have something to do with it. Just because God had promised did not mean that Daniel did not have to pray. As a matter of fact, his prayers would become a means by which Daniel would participate in the fulfillment of God's promise. John Calvin said, Nothing, therefore, can be better for us than to ask what he has promised. And Daniel was praying for a hastening of the promise of God, a speedy accomplishment of the 70 years. We looked at this, you can go back and listen to it, but it is fascinating. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13 Scripture seems to indicate that in some sense we can hasten, speed up, if you will, the Lord's coming by our conduct and by our holy living. That, that's an amazing thought. Go look it up. We talked about it last time. It looks as if we can also hasten the Lord's coming through evangelism. Through reaching the lost with Jesus. Because Paul says that God's prophetic time clock, as determined by his dealings with Israel, will crank back up again when the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Romans eleven twenty five. You can go look that up. Now Jesus put it like this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations. Ethnos. In all nations. And then the end shall come. So if we're to go into all the world and the gospel will be preached in all nations and then the end comes, it looks to me like we can hasten the fullness of the Gentiles, the coming of the Lord, by going into all the world as quick as we can. Looks like we have something to do with that. So it stands to reason that we can hasten the Lord's coming also through prayer even as Daniel hastened or asked to have it hastened, the fulfillment of prophecy regarding Israel's being released from Babylonian captivity. I'm reminded of Revelation 22 of the even so, come quickly. Lord, don't delay. Come quickly. Daniel was praying that God in his mercy would take the earliest of starting points which would be when Daniel was a kid and was kidnapped, to determine the beginning of the 70 years. There were three possibilities, and I'm still reviewing a little bit, adding some to it. There were three possible dates that you could say were the beginning of Israel's captivity in Babylon. 605 BCE, Jerusalem's attack. Daniel and his other, the other his compadres are taken captive. 597 BCE Jerusalem is attacked the treasures taken from the temple 587 BCE Jerusalem falls and the nation is exiled. Daniel was asking for that earliest possible starting point. Are you with me? He's trying to get 18 years shaved off. Lord, please use that earliest date. I'm we're ready to get out of here. And so in the first year of Darius or Darius now that this is this is fascinating because for the earliest date, we're still three or four years out because we have we know when this is happening, in the first year of, of Darius. So three or four years before the 70 years when you consider the earliest date. So still three or four years out, Daniel begins to pray, Lord, let it be. He's pushing the plans and purposes forward, pushing the plans and purposes of God through prayer. He had the foresight three or four years before the the deadline, D-Day, but he began passionately three or four years out praying that God's will would be done. That that, that blows my mind, y'all. Valerie and I try to get away a couple times a year. And, and you, some of you that have been around, you know this. We, we like to script uh, uh, some prayers and write out these prayers. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now, we have prayed for things years before we ever saw them manifested. And the reason why is because we saw them in advance. But just because we saw them in advance prophetically, God spoke to our hearts either through the Word or through the Word and in our spirit, We saw them, but just because we saw them, it wasn't enough. We had to pray them into being. We've come to realize that. Sometimes you've got to just pray it into being. It's like you're pregnant with a promise, but you have to labor and travail to give birth to that promise. This stuff you don't hear much anymore, but I'm telling you, the Lord is looking for a church that knows how to pray and knows how to travail, knows how to tap into the prophetic, and knows how to pray and into being. It was John Wesley that says, It seems as if God does nothing in the earth except people pray. You've got to pray some stuff into being. It's not always easy labor, travail, prayer. But you're, and, God, and you could kick, this is what the modern church says. We say, Well, God promised it, so we're just going to sit back and wait on it. Daniel prayed it into existence, he made, it, he, he made things happen. Because he prayed, it's the way God's designed it, y'all. We are partners, we are co-laborers with him. When we don't know what to pray, the spirit leads us and prays through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That is a partnership forged in heaven where we're praying the will of God into being. I've been stirred up by this. He prayed. We get away. We, We try to script some prayers, and, and, and we've done that in advance. You guys out here, let me just go ahead and tell you you guys, we saw you before you ever got here. We prayed you here. It's not like we did it. I know God built the church and all that kind of stuff, but I'm saying we prayed for y'all to walk in those doors or to walk into our lives, or in our living room, or at Tiki De or at River Community Church, we we prayed, and y'all showed up. You're an answer to prayer. This building is an answer to a lot of prayers. For crying out loud, Tiki De of all places, was an answer to prayer. River Community was an answer to prayer. I'll never forget Garnet Slatten, just this Harvard graduate preacher at River Community meeting with me and and I said, well, we got this fledgling congregation of, you know, Spaz and, and flex and, uh, you know, and all their little stage names, right? And Garnet's like, oh, yeah, he gave us favor. Garnet's like, we would love to have you guys use our facility. You have full access. Man just gave us access to everything. The favor of God. It was in answer to prayer. Let me ask you, what's God promised you? You praying it into being. What's what's the what's the Lord promised you? Now, I don't pretend to understand all there is to know about prayer. I definitely am still learning. It's it's something I'm learning, but I have learned a few things, and I thought I was sure. I just jotted down a few of these. This kind of breaks every uh, you know sermon. Uh, protocol because I have 10 things I jotted down but at the same time right we're in you know I I teach 130 part series too so right we'll just keep rolling with it I've learned a few things about prayer number one ask for understanding regarding prayer the disciples said Lord teach us to pray And, and so then he said when you pray pray like this our father who art in heaven so it's not enough to ask The Lord, to teach you to pray, read your Bible and and see what he had to say about prayer. So ask for understanding and be sure to consult the Scripture. Number two, some prayer is better than no prayer. Don't let shame and guilt for not praying an hour a day or two hours a day, or three hours, some some of these legendary intercessors that maybe you've heard about and you just can't keep up with them, who cares? Some prayer is better than no prayer. A little prayer is better than no prayer. So pray short prayers. It's okay. Just get on the, the prayer train somewhere. Get in where you fit in, man. Just start praying a little bit. Number three, get specific. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. When you ask, you ask amiss. Get specific. Get specific. Don't don't just be so general that that you, you don't even know what you're praying about. Get specific. Name it. Claim it. Pray it. Number four, speaking to the mountain is also called prayer. In other words, you don't always talk to the Lord. Sometimes you talk to things, stuff. Jesus called that prayer. That's called prayer as well. Sometimes you've got to speak to things. you got to speak to the mountain. Be removed and cast into this. you got to speak to sickness and disease. I come against you in Jesus' name. I'm standing on the word of God. I, I'm not in denial. I'm speaking... In faith against you that has come. What are you, O mountain, that's come against me? Right? There's scripture for that. That's considered to be prayer. Look it up in Mark 11. Number five, pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues. Oh, my goodness, man. Like, what happened to that? It's amazing to me the, the Pentecostal churches that don't speak in tongues. The Pentecostal churches where people aren't baptized in the Holy Ghost and then the Pentecostal churches where people don't pray in the Spirit. It's like we threw the baby out with the bathwater. When things got really goofy and people exploited all that stuff, we just kind of threw it all out. Are you kidding me? There's a source of power and strength that you don't get anywhere else. I'm convinced that believers should speak in tongues, pray in the Spirit every single day of their lives. It's not that I have to. It's that I get to. I have the privilege of entering in in this supernatural realm in prayer. And we don't always know what to pray. I've already quoted it from Romans 8. For crying out loud, look what's going on in our world right now. I don't know how to pray, but in the name of Jesus, I can pray in the Spirit. I've been given a language in the Spirit. I can pray the Holy Spirit can move through me. And and people are like, well, you, you shouldn't speak in tongues when you all come together. That's what the Bible says. If you'll look very closely at the Bible, you'll understand that it doesn't mean when you get in a group, nobody can speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. That's not what that means. But I'm not here to preach about that. I'm just telling you, you need a. You need to speak in tongues. You need to pray in the Spirit. That, that's a very, very powerful. Number six, here's another thing you can do in prayer. Ask God to forgive you. And then believe that He forgave you. If, if a father asks, you know, if a son asks his father for bread, will he give him a stone? There's a compare and a contrast with the Lord, how much more your heavenly Father? When you say, "Forgive me," we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous. The price has been paid. He will forgive you. Don't let condemnation keep you out of prayer. That's my bottom line. Because like you, you, like you're like a good boy, good girl, and you walk in boldly to the throne of grace. Lord, here I am. I've been a good boy, and I have some things I want to ask you about. But then you let you have a bad day. And you're like, all defeated, I can't pray. Hey, you know what you should do? Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, if we, if we sin, we have an advocate. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Just like that. So walk in and start with, Lord, forgive me. I have really blown it. I am so sorry. I, I let you down. I let others down. But I'm asking you to forgive me. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a forgiver of my sins. And there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. I will not be governed by my flesh that tells me I'm unworthy. I'm governed by the Word and the Spirit that says the price has been paid. Amen. And then boldly ask, praying for forgiveness of sins. That's a, that's a great thing to do. And then carve out, number seven, time, a time and a place to pray. Carve out a time and a place. Early in the morning, mid-morning. Some of you are like night owls. I only pray at night. I don't care. You know, I used to, you want to do that. You, sometimes you, those of you who are night owls, you, you're like shamed because like you should tithe. Your time. Early in the Get up at the crack of dawn. Some of us don't roll that way. And that's okay. That's all right. Carve out some time and a place. But even if you miss it, here's number eight. Pray wherever, whenever. I mean, in the car, in the shower. God forgive me. Uh, just pray wherever, whenever. Talk to the Lord. Pray in the spirit. Number nine. Remember that He has forgiven you. I put that in there again because that's probably one of the biggest hindrances to prayer. Condemnation. Remember, He's forgiven you. Number ten, incorporate the Word into your prayer life. The Word of God is the will of God. The will of God is the Word of God. If we ask anything according to His will... We know that He hears us, and if He hears us, we have whatever we ask. What is the will of God? It's the Word. Look at the Word. What did He buy? What did He purchase with His blood at Calvary? That belongs to you. Pray for that stuff in your life and the prayers that you're praying. Stand on that. So, there's some things about prayer. So, Um, I think that's very important. Uh, I, I Just FYI, I completed my final manuscript and the final edit of my page layout for my book entitled I Am Cubed, I Am Who I Am Says I Am, The Power of Identity. And it is uh, with the publisher, and as soon as I send them my signed... John, my John Henry on this document, then it goes off to the uh, printer, and it will be coming out, and I'm excited about it. But, hey, yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. It's crazy. Um, uh, but as I was telling you, Valerie and I scripted prayer, uh, prayers through the years, and and uh, God would speak to us in those seasons, and we would write out some things that, that he was speaking to us, and we would pray. The, pr- you need to pray what God says about you into being. See your marriage the way it ought to be. See your children the way it ought to be. See your finances the way they should be. See that. Look in prophetically into the future. Pray. Seek God. Let him show you something. Dig in the word, and then when you get a little direction, pray it into being. Daniel read the book of Jeremiah, and I love what David Guzik says on this. Even in God's eternal decrees, God has an essential role for people to play. God's plan of the ages is declared, yet Jeremiah made a prophecy. Daniel made a prayer, and Cyrus made a proclamation. So people are essential in the plan of God. Theologian James D. Strauss says this, too often our interest in the prophetic scriptures is of a curious and speculative nature or else we conclude that God will carry out his sovereign purpose no matter what we do and so we do not concern ourselves with those matters. We Kind of have a keserasera, whatever will be, will be. But that was not the way Daniel approached it. Daniel approached it I will pray this into being. Now, this is interesting. Daniel was from the tribe of Judah. He was not from the priestly tribe of Levi. He was not a Levite. He was not necessarily qualified to intercede. Ezekiel was a Levite. He was called to walk in that priestly role, in that intercessory way. But Daniel... Was not. Daniel was not even a career prophet like Jeremiah. He was bivocational. And yet, to me, that's cool because he's kind of like all of us. He prayed anyway and it made a difference. Daniel was high up in government. He was a somebody. He was a muckety muck in the government. He was part of the establishment, the elite, the 1%. He certainly had a very busy schedule but he took time out of his schedule every day and he prayed. Charles Spurgeon said this, do not, I pray you get into the habit of neglecting the assembling of yourselves together for prayer. How often have I said all our strength lies in prayer. When we were very few God multiplied us in answer to prayer. We're well, gathering here Monday night, first Monday prayer. Prayer matters. And individually, we should all be in prayer daily. And you can write out some prayers. You can pray them regularly. And I want to tell you, especially during times of transition and upheaval, and, and like right now, like this time, it's time to prayer. Now I want you, I want you to listen to Daniel's prayer, verses three through 19. I'm gonna read the entire thing here, and I want you to listen to this. We'll talk about it. But check this out. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now let me just stop. i got to say this right here at the very beginning. This reminds me of Jehoshaphat that I preached about on Sunday. He, he set his face toward the Lord. He just, what he was facing, he turned and he faced the Lord. And then it shows you how he did it with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Number four, verse four, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face. As it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O oh Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven... Such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses. All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, Who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, Our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Wow. Doesn't that sound like he's quoting, if my people who are called by my name? Well, he, is, he certainly is. Notice the humility sackcloth and ashes and fasting, the ownership, we have sinned. The truth speaking is because you're true to your word. We rebelled and you did exactly what you said and we haven't repented. Daniel was doing whatever he had to do to position himself and his people to receive a turnaround. Turnaround and a breakthrough, and an answering of prayer from heaven to reverse all that had taken place. John Wolford puts it like this. He left nothing undone that might possibly make his prayer more effective or more persuasive. Man, I love that. Here's the deal. It's like he was praying, no matter if anybody else is repenting, I'm going to repent. I'm included in this group, and I'm turning to you. And I'm going to ask you to forgive the whole lot of us, Lord. We've lost our way. If nobody else prays the prayer, I'm going to pray this prayer. He was spearheading the way. God's calling some people to spearhead some things in prayer. Your prayers, especially in humility and fasting and sackcloth and ashes is the idea, is those prayers can become Contagious. It brings an attitude of humility and, 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 and contrition, and, and it, it gets the attention of heaven, and that becomes attractive. Somebody's got to start it out, right? Lord, I've had some trouble. I've made, I've made some foolish decisions and some foolish mistakes, and I'm not alone in this. The church has lost its way. I told you a few weeks ago, we started praying for area churches. I hope you're still doing that, of all stripes, all across this area, because the church has lost its way. The truth, there's a famine of hearing the word of God. The church has lost its way, but in Jesus' name, let it start with me, God. I bow the knee. I humble myself. I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from my wicked ways. I'm asking you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive the church in general for losing its way. God, help us and restore us. Can you give them some praise right now? Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 20 describes that prayer we just read like this. Now while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of God. It's as if he for sure saw his own shortcomings and he saw the shortcomings of his people. But it wasn't make us look good. So people can applaud us. He said, Lord, this is for your name's sake, for your holy mountain, for your glory. Lord, this is for your, your kingdom. This is so you're increased and, and, and we're decreased, but there's that redemptive lift. As, as we lift you up, you lift us up, Lord. But it's not about us, it's about you. That, that's such a beautiful thing. Speaking, praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people, Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord. I love the fact that he didn't divorce himself from the people of God, Israel, the backsliders. He didn't say, they have lost their way and not me. He said, they're part of me. You know, the good, bad, and the ugly, we all belong together if you're born again. There's a bond that we share. The family is broken, y'all. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters, not like us and them. But, Lord, forgive us all, God. Let there be a unifying and a coming together. I want to tell you something. This stuff with ethnicity and race and all, it's the tip of the iceberg. There's been so much broken relationship throughout the body of Christ. Let there be a restoration. Let it start with me, God. My prejudice, my discrimination, Lord, against other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, forgive me for it, Lord. Restore, do it only you can do. I'm telling you, if we get that kind of attitude, that kind of supplication, that kind of humility before the Lord, God will send a revival that shakes. I'm convinced. I'm convinced of that. So here he is acting as a priest, even though he's not a priest. He's speaking on behalf of the people. He stood in the gap. He interceded. And when Daniel prayed like that, unselfishly, honestly, realistically, he didn't sugarcoat nothing. I love what happened next. The supernatural just blew up in his life. Verses 21 through 23. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision in the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly. This is one of the few times you see angels flying. Being caused to fly swiftly. I don't think it was like, you know, like, I can't do it, but just a, a soft, you know, like, I see it more like, right? This Superman. He had reached me about the time of the evening offering. That's so significant, too. You see, 70 years earlier, when Daniel was a young man in Jerusalem, at 3 p.m., he would see the smoke coming out of the temple. It was the time of the evening sacrifice. He hadn't seen that in 70 years, but he hadn't forgotten it. The evening sacrifice. About the time of the evening sacrifice. I love that, man. He's like, he, he never lost sight Of the central thing, which was the sacrifice. Jesus would be the lamb that would die at 3 p.m., the time of the evening sacrifice, years in advance. And here's Daniel. It's about the time of the evening sacrifice. He flew to me. He got there just in time. He informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication... The command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, I cons- therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Let me stop right there. Daniel received supernatural help, and this is not just from any angel. This is from an archangel, one of three that we know of, Gabriel, who only spoke to Daniel, Zacharias, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in that 23rd verse, as soon as Daniel started praying, the command went out. And he said, I've come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. Now, in some respects, God loves everybody. But you have to reconcile that, and I'm not here to completely do that right now, with words like this, Romans 9, 13. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Right? I mean, can we just be real? For God still so loved the world. God loves everybody. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I have hated, you know, says the Lord. The point is this, God loves praying people. God loves people who are pushing his plans and purposes forward in prayer. God loves people who are tuned in to the prophetic and understand the times like the sons of Issachar in First 1 Chronicles 12.32. Daniel was definitely in tune with the prophetic. And the Word says he was loved by God. Do you know who else was in tune with the prophetic who the Word says was loved by God? Why don't you try the writer of the book of Revelation, John. John 13, 23 says that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Tuned into the prophetic. There are transitional times that we are going through right now. We need people in tune with the prophetic. We need a praying church. A praying church. I want to close with this. And In Matthew 24, Jesus gave a a private briefing to just four of his disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Mark 13, 3 makes it very clear. Often, Matthew 24 is referred to as the Olivet Discourse because of where it took place on the Mount of Olives. We've been there. There's all kind of stuff memorializing that. Now, the reason I want to go here is because these four disciples asked Jesus when he was coming back, what would be the sign of his coming. And Jesus answered them by going to Daniel chapter 9, where we are right now. And that's where we're going to get next time. But but I've got something I want to pull out of this. Listen to listen to Matthew 24, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say unto you, not one stone shall be left here upon the another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. This is the private disclosure here. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Mark 13, 3 makes it clear. They said, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, first thing he said, this is what I got to tell you all. First thing he said, take heed that no one deceives you. I, I felt led to say what I'm about to say on a Wednesday night. Take heed that no one deceives you. In verses 23, 24, and 25, he essentially says the same thing. It's like he bookends his remarks about the end times with, you better watch out. Make sure no one deceives you. I'm telling you, there will be a mighty apostolic revival that sweeps this world before Jesus returns. There were people not here on Sunday And who are not here tonight, who don't know Jesus yet, but they're coming. (laughs) Over the next few weeks and months and years, they're going to be swept in. Because, brothers and sisters, we're going to have an apostolic outpouring of the Holy Ghost and revelation coming from the truth of the Word of God. I believe like never before. It's coming. But let me tell you what else is coming. There is coming a great falling away, an apostasy. And boy, that's negative right there. But the, there are people that were here this past Sunday, and there may even be some people who are here tonight and watching on the other side of that camera who will fall away. From the faith and be deceived, and they will not be here in the next few weeks and months and years unless they get a hold of themselves and take heed, unless they be deceived. Because when the prophetic is unleashed, when end-time events are taking place, it is the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. You cannot be complacent. You cannot play games with God because the devil will sell you a bill of goods that you cannot handle, and it will take you out of the house of God. Take heed. You better take heed. Give God some praise. And he said, take heed lest any man deceives you. You better be careful who you're listening to and who you're running with. You start running with some people, they'll start na and na-na. And it's, it's arrogance and pride and it's bitterness and unforgiveness and it blinds you. And then you're like Samson, blinded. Then you're bound up and you've lost your way. Are you with me? I believe in an end-time revival, but I believe in a falling away. You t- Jesus said, they said, when, when, what's the sign? First thing I need to tell you, boys, take heed. I'm going to tell you, as a brother in the Lord who has walked into the dredges and the sewer of deception, I don't care how close you were to God, you can get far away from God quick. And you can call good evil and evil good. You can do the work of the devil and think that you're doing God a favor. Totally misread. Feel the presence of God and think that God is validating your wickedness and your wrong decisions when the whole time it's the mercy of God saying, you're doing wrong, son. You're doing wrong, daughter. I'm, turn to me. I want to help you out in this. And you're like, oh, I feel the presence of God. Woo, I'm making the right decisions. No, you're not. You better take heed. Take heed lest you be deceived. What's happening is, here's a recipe for deception. Why don't you stand with me right now? I'm just telling you all, man, I feel the presence of God, right? I feel the anointing. Trust me, listen, this happens when God in his mercy is helping Somebody. It's never too late. It's never too late. I, I tell you what, though. I'd be, I'd be further down the road had I not gotten off track for all that time And my mind. Man, it just messed me up so bad. God's trying to help somebody. You don't have to make the same mistake I made. There's still hope. A recipe for deception is, is pretty simple. Just don't cast your cares on the Lord. Try to carry them all yourself. You're right for the pickings. You have to break out of the tyranny of worry, anxiety, and fear. It will will set you up. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's it's not fair. But in the transitional times when stuff is going crazy, it gets confusing and there can be anxiety. you got to cast it all on the Lord and set your face to seek the Lord. Will seek you, God, in the middle of all this. The devil is a liar. You, you, you walk, you, you just walk in it long enough, you're going to lose the faith. Here's another recipe. This is another part of the recipe for deception. Lean on your own understanding. Go ahead and discount this word, make it say what you want to say because you can. Lean on your own understanding, discount the word, and I guarantee you, you will be deceived. You are low-hanging fruit. You're not bad, big and bad and all that. you low-hanging fruit, man. You're ripe for the picking. Here's another thing, recipe for deception. Live in bitterness and unforgiveness. Let it fester and fester. Here's another thing, and this sounds self-serving, and I you don't hear me say this a lot, but You live in rebellion against spiritual authority, the man of God in your life. You are a prime candidate. It's not fair. It is what it is, though. And when the prophetic is coming to pass, you hear what I'm saying. You will have every opportunity to walk in worry, to lean on your own understanding, to walk in bitterness and rebellion. All of the reasoning to do that was present at his first coming, as he was fulfilling Scripture after prophetic Scripture after prophetic Scripture, and it will be around those opportunities before he comes again. And my word for you tonight, you hear the word of the Lord. Take heed, lest any man deceive you. The Greek is blepo. Blepo. It means to see, to discern. Man, what we need in these days and times is a fresh baptism of discernment. Discernment. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.